when did you find meditation and make this your life's work? So I found it 12 years ago, uh, back when I was kicking a leg and putting on a fake lash, singing and dancing on Broadway. I could see it. <laughs> People <laughs> that come from Broadway are so amazing because you can tell in the way that they move in life. Like after someone says that, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. I, I was just thinking the other day that whenever I was in acting class, people would always be like, Emily, you're moving like a dancer. Like no matter what role I was playing, I couldn't not move like a dancer. And I think that's finally gone. And I got a little sad about it. It's like, all right, mm. I sit quietly in a chair for a living now. <laughs> Maybe I need to move the, my core a little bit more. Um, but I was understudying three of the lead roles in a chorus line. I was I was literally like, have you done a chorus line? Yeah. Literally so I understood Judy and Cassie and Sheila. Wow. And... No, that is a lie. I just lied. I understudied Judy and Sheila and Val. So Val's the tits and ass one. And she, that the one who played that role, called out all the time. And so I was always thrown on at a moment's notice. And sometimes I would just be chilling in my dressing room. And they'd be like, Emily Fletcher, I need you on stage. And I would run down seven flights of stairs. Someone would throw me in a leotard. And it wouldn't be until I was on stage till I knew which character I was playing. So constantly in this state of fight or flight, constantly in panic. And that led to insomnia, going gray in my 20s, getting sick, getting injured. And I was like, this is not my dream. Because I really thought once I got on Broadway, it was going to be martinis with Liza at Sardi's. And instead, it was girls complaining about their bunions, eating tuna fish out of a can, and me having panic attacks, listening to Eckhart Tolle in between shows under my dressing room table. Mm -hmm. And so, long story short, I found meditation and changed my whole life. It cured my insomnia after 18 months of not sleeping through the night. I slept through the night. I have every night since. That was 12 years ago. I stopped going gray until very recently. <laughs> so, you know, going through a mega life change in a pandemic with a two-year-old. I'm like, all right. But, you know, going gray at 26 is different than 42. And I was also getting injured and sick. And it was very confusing why I was living my dream and miserable. So long story short, I found meditation and it changed my whole life. In addition to curing my insomnia, I did not get sick for eight and a half years I stopped going gray, but I think the most profound change is that I started enjoying my job again. And so I was like, why does everyone not do this? Left Broadway, went to India, started what became a three-year training process to teach this. And then since graduating, I've taught now 50,000 people to meditate, which I'm very proud of. And that doesn't mean like one guided session. Like I've taught 50,000 people how to do it on their own, how to wake up and meditate without me, without an app, without a dude playing drums on their chest. Like they can just close their eyes and go inside. And I feel very proud of that. And and now it's so fun to see people waking up in mass of like, oh, I can't just caffeinate myself all day and drink myself to sleep at night and wonder why I'm getting, you know, cancer or breaking down at 40. So it's like we're starting to see that we have to take care of our minds and our souls and our hearts in this way that is sustainable and enjoyable. Right. Like it's so good. Like it feels good when you're doing it. It makes your whole life better. So I'm just like, I don't understand why everyone isn't doing this. Well, people, I think I was wondering, I was thinking about that before, like people say that they can't and they say that it's hard and I don't, it's hard it, and, and it's not hard, but it's, I do relate to the fact of you don't understand what it does for you until you experience it. Yeah. And so what do you say to those people that say they can't meditate or they find it to be challenging? Well, first of all, I congratulate them on even being curious, and I want to validate anything that they're doing to move in a direction, and I want to give a lot of permission slips because a lot of people have a meditation shame because they think that they should secretly already know how to do it. A lot of people think that it was a skill that was taught in 10th grade when they just happened to be sick, so they're like, I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing, and they just close their eyes and they're like, okay, brain, stop thinking. Mm, sure would like a snack. Mm, <laughs> snacks are delicious. Oh, no, I suck at meditation. I quit. 
And then they potentially rob themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment because they're simply basing their success based on misinformation. And so there's this really big fallacy out there, which is that the point of meditation is to clear the mind, right? And just like with sex, you may orgasm, but it's not like, oh, I orgasm in order to have sex. Like you have sex and orgasm is a byproduct of that. It's the same thing with a clear mind. If you meditate, you your mind will likely feel more clear on the other side. But if you go in being like, okay, I'm going to clear my mind right now, it's likely going to feel very frustrating mm. versus like putting undue pressure on an orgasm when you're having sex. Mm. And so if people go in thinking that the result is the technique, it's where people get tripped up sometimes. So the really liberating permission slip is this. And anyone who's ever tried meditation and felt like a failure, please listen to this one piece of information because it could really change the rest of your life. The mind thinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. And here's the good news. You can get all of these scientifically proven benefits even if you're having thoughts during your meditation, mm -hmm. right? No one cares if you're a good meditator. Everyone cares if you're good at life. And this is our whole thing at Ziva, right? It's like we meditate to get better at life, not to get better at meditation. Mm -hmm. mm. The mind-body connection is is really fascinating. And I feel like, especially in the last year, just with like everyone being in that low state of like fight or flight, stress, and I just can't imagine the lasting effects on the body that this last year has done. And so like, can you just, can you give us a little bit of the science behind how meditation can affect your physical body? Yeah. So I think it's important to understand how stress is impacting the body, and then we can see why meditation seems so miraculous and magical. It's, it's not a miracle. It's not magic. It feels like it, but that's actually because of the detriments of stress. So if you think back 10,000 years, you're hunting and gathering in the woods. Tiger comes out with the intent to kill. Your body's going to launch into fight or flight. That's where it came from, right? Your digestion will flood with acid to shut down digestion because we need all of that energy to fight or flee the tiger. That acid will then seep onto your skin so you don't taste very good if that tiger bites into you. And so that's what prematurely ages us is when our skin is overly acidic for long periods of time. Um, your bladder and bowels will evacuate so that you're light on your feet so you can flee the tiger. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by the tiger. Again, all hands on deck. Reproductive things go to the back burner. Um, adrenaline levels increase. Cortisol levels increase. So this series of chemical reactions is very useful if your demands are tigers. But if your demands are breakups, pandemics, in-laws, travel, job interviews, then this fight or flight thing has become maladaptive. It is now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game, and our bodies have not yet evolved to adapt to our modern day demands. And this is why stress is such an epidemic. I mean, even before the pandemic, stress was its own epidemic. Sure. According to Harvard Medical School, they were saying that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctors' visits. Now you add on top of that a global pandemic, loneliness, which is physiologically worse for us than smoking. And, you know, all of the life changes that have come on top of the pandemic and isolation, divorces, whole industries shutting down, homeschooling, loss of friends, friends moving, moving yourself. Like these are legit or the loss of someone. Like so many people are grieving lost friends and family members. And sometimes we're dealing with multiple traumatic events on top of each other. And so we have to get very real about dealing with the long tail impact of this pandemic. And, and that is the stress. 
And because stress is not just something that's happening mentally, your brain is responsible for printing every single cell in your body. So if you have the brain of stress, guess what? You're gonna have the body of stress. If a tiger were to come in here right now, within 30 seconds, we would have adrenaline and cortisol in our bloodstream. Within 10 minutes, we'd have adrenaline and cortisol in our marrow, which is the most viscous liquid in the body. Now here's the good news. When you start meditating, within 30 to 45 seconds, you start to have dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. You start to have that in your bloodstream. Within 10 minutes, you start to have the marrow of bliss. Mm. So meditation is not just like a cute pedicure for your brain. Okay, This is not like a bubble bath you need to get around to when you have more time. This really is the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we, we should have been practicing every day before the pandemic. Now it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. And, and what's about to happen is that you know things are going to start to open up and we're going to have like, I don't know how to form complete sentences. <laughs> I don't Hello, my name is Emily. <laughs> I am not a robot. Like You don't have to like figure out how to be with humans again and possibly move or industries will have changed. And all of that requires adaptation. And what I think is one of the most beautiful benefits of meditation is the filling up of your reservoirs of this thing called adaptation energy, which is really just your ability to adapt to a change mm -hmm. of demand. And, and if you even take everything that's going on right now out of it, just the rate of change on the planet is getting faster and faster. And I really think that the single marker of human success moving forward is going to be your ability to adapt. And so when you're stressed, you, you just don't, I can't, not right now. Don't look at me, not today. No, no, no. And you just delay the decision. You delay the stress. You delay the hard conversation. But if you can get yourself out of that state, remind yourself that you're God pretending to be human, remind yourself that you are the ocean pretending to be the wave, then all of the decisions, all of the demands don't seem so uh, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.